tonight we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 15. If you did the homework, that's great, but if not, we're really glad that you're here. Um, the theme of tonight's verses are hope and comfort, as it has, um, or it was, or is at the top of your homework. Um, but before I read the word, and as you're turning there, I'm just going to pray so that the Lord settles my nerves, too. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you, Lord, um, just for the peace that you bring to our hearts, Lord. I just thank you for your word, Lord, and just how it speaks to the depths of our heart, Lord, that um, no man or a woman or thing or uh, can bring the comfort that you bring to our hearts, Lord, and we just thank you for that, God. So I just pray, Lord, that you would just um, put me aside, Lord, that you would just just speak, Lord, to these women, Lord, that you would just prepare their hearts for what you have to say to them, God. And again, we just thank you just for the mighty power of your word, Lord, um, and the truth that it rings day in and day out. In these things we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 15. I'm just going to read through all the verses, and then we'll dive right into the word. Verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In the summertime, before Lincoln was here, my son, the Lord had impressed a song upon my heart, and I felt myself continuing to sing it over and over again and just about everywhere I went, and I kept asking the Lord, God, why are you giving me this song? Why, why am I singing this song all the time? And it was a, it was a Christian song, a worship song, um, but I would listen to it over and over again, and in the midst of listening to it and singing it, I just felt myself um, having so much peace and hope. Um, as I awaited the birth of my son. Um, it calmed my, the fears that I had of becoming a mom, definitely bringing a child into the world that's so sin-filled, wondering what he would have to face after I gave birth to him, and praying that he would know Jesus at a young age and stay faithful to him. All in all, this song, it fixed my th mind on things above, on heaven. A few weeks later, one of my childhood best friends died of an overdose. He had a three-year-old son and had battled with addiction for a long time, actually ever since we were in middle school. I found myself again meditating on the words of this song as I drove three hours to his memorial service alone in my car with no working radio. <laughs> again, I found myself unsettled, and even this time I was quite angry. But these words, these words of the song, brought me so much peace and so much hope and in this time, they actually brought me comfort, as my heart was deeply hurt that I would no longer see him, and for those who no longer had him, I knew this one, one thing to be true, that he was with Jesus. He was free from the battles that he faced on earth. I share these two stories with you today because both instances showed me the uncontrollable reality of loss. 
but also the security, the hope, and the comfort that we have in heaven. We've been learning through 1 Thessalonians that Paul was with these believers only for a short amount of time. And here in these verses today, Paul addresses some concerns that they must have had about loved ones who had passed away and some questions that they must have had about the return of Christ. The people in Thessalonica grew up with Greek philosophies, probably lots of them not even knowing what the rapture was or if that were to be true. Um, what would happen to those who they had loved that passed away? Were they in some waiting place? Um, did, did they go to hell? Where, where did they go? And Paul um, begins by addressing such in verse 13. If you want to follow again with me, I'm going to read verse 13 again. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Paul kind of smacks us right in the face with that word, but I don't know why, but that word really caught my attention in the beginning. And I think it should get our attentions too, because maybe even in the words that, that Paul was speaking in this letter to the Thessalonian church um, are words that God wants to speak to our hearts tonight for some reason. Um, Paul stating that he doesn't want the church in Thessalonica to be uninformed. He uses the word ignorant, but it can also be known as uninformed. This shows Paul's continual fatherly care for his church and that he continues to desire to teach them the truths of God's words. He doesn't want to leave them lacking in anything that they very well should know, even if this meant addressing something that might have been really difficult to hear. David Guzik shared this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It is with some interest that we note four times in his letters, Paul asked Christians not to be ignorant concerning something. First, he says, don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel in Romans 11.25. Then he states, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Thirdly, he says, don't be ignorant about the suffering and the trials that you're going to have in the Christian life, 2 Corinthians 1.8. And lastly, he says, don't be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Remarkably, these are areas where ignorance is still common in the Christian world today. I thought that was interesting. I think it's really common, and I'm only 26 years old, but I, the book of the Bible that sometimes I stand the farthest from is the one that we probably should be the most focused on, um, and that's the coming of the Lord and what's to come after. Um, and I don't know why, but I just I think it purely is my own sometimes my own ignorance towards that's coming and not that I'm scared that I'm not going to go to heaven, but just the fact of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to those that I love that don't know the Lord. Um, but I want to ask you this question tonight. How commonly are we living in ignorance towards the things of the Lord? Are our mindsets so focused on the things and cares of this world that we're so paralyzed to the reality of the truths of Jesus and his coming. See, Jesus doesn't want you to hear this right now. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you again. How commonly are we living in ignorance toward the things of God? Are our mindsets so focused on the things and cares of this world that we're so paralyzed to the reality of the truth of Jesus and his coming? Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind, mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Um, in 2017, um, my best friend, some of you have probably seen her here at church, um, London, lost her brother uh, to suicide. He was 18 years old, and still to this day, um, we, we don't know the reason why it happened. Um, 
But I can tell you from watching how they have mourned for the past, uh, it's coming up on six years, the one thing that I have been amazed by is the fact that they have set their mind on things above. They've not let grief overtake them, even though they hurt and they mourn, and some seasons are more difficult than others, they really rest in the word of the Lord. And it's really beautiful to see. The rest of, the rest of verse 13 uncovers and answers some more things. It talks about those who have fallen asleep. Paul's referring to those believers who have died before them. I believe Paul uses this term, fallen asleep, because sleep, as we know it, brings rest. Sleep on earth brings us relief from our life. In the same way, Paul relates sleeping to those who have passed away in Christ because he knows that they are without pain or earthly struggles no longer. They are with Jesus. Their presence on earth is no longer, but their souls are with God going to quote David Guzik again because I really like him. But he best states it this way, there will come a day when in God's eternal plan, the dead in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies. Yet until that day, we are confident that the dead in Christ are not in some kind of soul sleep or suspended animation. Paul made it clear in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent with, from the body means to be present with the Lord. Either the present dead in Christ are with the Lord in a spiritual body awaiting their final resurrection body, or because of the nature of timeless eternity, they have received their resurrection bodies already because they live in the eternal now. However God will do it, we are confident that his promises are true. I love that Paul always aims to give biblical truth followed by encouragement to believers young and old. He warns them first, then he gives them a truth, but then he reminds them and encourages them not to be upset about this truth or reality, death, like those who are in the world and do not know him. To clarify, Paul is not saying that we ought to not mourn when those that we love in Christ pass away. He I'm sorry, I was reading the, the wrong spot. Due to, due to how we love as believers, we also feel deep hurt when those who we dearly love and care for pass away. One author said this, Truly, our grief should be coupled with hope of a reunion where we will never say goodbye. So if you're grieving tonight, please know God sees you, God wants to hold you, and he holds every single one of your tears in a bottle, as it says in Psalm 56. Paul reminds us that we can have hope amidst our mourning because of the eternal truth that we have, that they are surely in heaven. He speaks more of this in the next verse. Verse 14 says, For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of this essential truth in their belief of Jesus' death and resurrection. This, we know, is a vital part of our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that we are saved through what Christ did on the cross, and then he rose again. We serve the same faithful God that here promises that he will bring those who have passed away to him. 1 Corinthians 15 through 12 through 19. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it here for you. I just feel like it does a really good job at talking about this verse as well, or further explaining it. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we have been found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if we... For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all the most pitied. Believing in Christ and what he did on the cross for you is essential. That's an essential part of our walk with the Lord. And so also is knowing where that he has a place for you and that place prepared for those who have passed away before you. Verse 15 says, For we know, for this we know to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. I really love this verse, and especially the beginning of it, for, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. I think Paul does a really good job through all of his letters at continuing to bring those people that he's talking to back to the word of God. He always says, I'm saying this to you, but it's because of God I'm saying it to you. I'm not saying this to you because I, I worked really, really hard and I know exactly what I have to say. He's saying this because it's by God's word that he's saying this. The truth that he is giving in the Thessalonians is not from experience or by wisdom of himself, but from the word of God. Um, after saying this, I felt really convicted about my speech. Are the words that I say to others based or driven by the words of God or, by my, or from myself? How quick am I to speak of my own thoughts, my own ideas, rather than from the truth of God's word? Um, I think as women, you know, all of us know, well, maybe not all of us, if you're quiet. <laughs> um, words can be really, really tough. Um, as my mom has shared, I think we talked about this a lot in the book of James. You know, they have the power to build people up, and they have the power to tear people down um, and change situations like that, like that, blink of an eye. And here Paul tells us he's saying this to them by the word of the Lord. God's word is what brings light and truth and life to people's hearts. Not my words, not your words, not her words, not, what, not the words they say on the TV, not the words you hear in a song. Um, even though the Lord can use people and things, his, his word is where we should stand grounded. Paul realized this, and he kept reminding the Thessalonian believers that what he was saying was not from himself, but again, from the truth of the word of God. The remainder of this verse speaks of those who are still alive before Christ's coming, that we will, if it is we, I hope it is us, <laughs> will not go before or ahead of to heaven those that have passed away in Christ. They already are experiencing life in heaven before us, they're experiencing that eternal rest together with Christ. Paul uses the word we because even he, hundreds of years ago, was convinced that the coming of the Lord was that time. He thought, you know what? It's coming, so I'm speaking to you like this could be happening tomorrow. He lived in present expectancy of Christ's return. He speaks of three notable sounds that we as believers will hear in the Lord's return and the rapture of his people. If you'll read with me in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul first mentions the shout um, that we're going to hear from heaven. And when I think of someone shouting, I often think of the words that I would use. Um, I was a teacher before I became a stay-at-home mom with my baby. Um, and I often think of the words that I would use to grab this, the attention of my students. Not me being like, hey guys! But words that were like catchphrases for me to catch their attention. And often the times that I would give them a phrase, they would give me a phrase back. And they only knew how to give me that phrase back because they knew me as their teacher. They knew the words that I was saying. And I think in the same way, um, God is shouting yes to grab our attention from the things that we're doing on this earth, but in the same way, we should, just like my students knew my voice, we should know the, the heart and the voice of our Father. We might be going right now, well, I don't know, I have no clue what his voice is going to sound like, but I think when the time comes and when the Lord does shout, we're going to know exactly who that is because we should know our God. One thing that we can act on is when we hear this sound, that, that we're going to be together with him forever, and it's going to be awesome. So the next thing that he says, this next notable sound, is the voice of an archangel. And I think that Paul secondly mentions this because what he's meaning, or what I think that he's meaning, is that when Christ returns, that he's going to come with a company of prominent angels, which I think is kind of cool. He's almost coming with like a big cheer squad, I imagine it. Like, all right, come on, it's your time to come. And last, he mentions a trumpet. Um, in God's words, word, trumpets usually sounded at the beginning of a battle to alarm the enemy, but trumpets were also blown for the gathering of God's people. Um, back when we were in Pennsylvania, we had uh, this worship leader, and um, he and his family owned this huge farm. We It was probably about I want to say like 30, 45 minutes away from the church, but we hosted a lot of our church gatherings there. So every time we had a picnic or um, a leadership meeting because he was on the worship team, if we had leadership meetings, we would all go to their house um, and we'd stay there for hours on end. But we wouldn't really stay inside of the house as kids. We would just run around. They had honeysuckles. Um, they had a huge barn with a swing in it. He had a tractor. We would just run all over the place. Um, and I'll never forget, they had this big bell in the back. And they'd ring the bell when it was time to eat. And only us kids knew what that bell meant. And that bell meant it's time to eat. So as soon as we heard the bell, we weren't running for the house. But anybody probably walking by hearing the bell, you know, again, had no clue what the bell meant. But to us, the bell was really exciting. So I think in the same way, you know, hearing that bell, hearing that the archangels, the, the voice of the archangels, um, and that that trumpet, we're, we're going to know it's it's our time. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 52 says... Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We need to be knowledgeable about the events that will happen at the return of Christ. Just as the Thessalonian believers were told, what would happen, we need to know too. These sounds should be sounds that we're eager to hear and are ready to receive. Paul also mentions that the dead in Christ will rise first. This simply means that those who have passed away will by no means miss the beautiful return of Christ. And 
And this time he will take all of his children together with him to heaven. I love these last two verses, verse 17 and 18. Um, I'm going to read verse 17 and then we'll go on to verse 18. Um, But I just read this verse and I just thought of, oh, will that be a joyful reunion? Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Again, Paul uses the word we because he was living in expectancy of the arrival of Christ's return. Again, how are we living? Are we living in 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 great expectation of the Lord's return? Are you waking up every day going, this could be the last day? Or are you waking up, I'll have tomorrow, I'll have next week. I know that in my mind from time to time, um, of course I'm eager to think, oh, well, God, could you just wait maybe like 10 years so I at least can have maybe all my kids? But I'm not even promised that. I have one baby boy right now, but I'm not even, I don't even know his days. And although that's hard for me to say, that's, that's the truth. Um, I don't hold time. Only the Lord does. He tells us that we'll be caught up together, meeting those who have already passed away to meet the Lord. Again, believers that have passed away are meeting us together in the air. What a hopeful and joyful reunion that will be. Not just a reunion that we can look forward to, right? Family reunions you can look forward to. You can set a date on the calendar, but then that day passes and it's gone. But it's a day that you'll have forever. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we are also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue even, even to subdue all things to himself. We can see that every revival in church history had this understanding that Christ could come at any moment. I actually stumbled upon... Um, 40 pages, it must, he must read verbatim, I don't even know, maybe he doesn't, or maybe he writes it all down, but a Calvary Chapel pastor out in California, um, the pastor of Victorville, and he put a lot of light on this verse. It's a, it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read um, what he said to you. You see, with this holy anticipation and hope, hope set before them, they were able to see their fellow human, and they were able to see past their prejudices and differences. They were able to set aside their shortcomings. They were able to love one another purely. This understanding of Christ's soon return brought every Christian duty into the right perspective, and all relationships were viewed through this lens. Really, what grudge or unforgiveness are you harboring today holds any value if you truly believe that tomorrow could not come? If we're honest, if we looked really honestly at life's pursuits, many of us perhaps have become pretty attached to this world and its system. This thought of always being with the Lord is usually really far from our thinking. It might even be a little bit bothersome, kind of like I mentioned earlier. I have even had a Christian tell me that they did not want to attend church because we teach about the rapture and they might and they have so much that they want to do in their life before this takes place. As if if I stopped teaching it, the reality would really go away. What does the thought of being raptured provoke in your heart tonight? 
verse 18 then brings a little bit more light, and it says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. With what words are you comforting others with? I know a little bit earlier we talked about speech, but this verse really hit hard for me too because it's really, really easy to try and fix somebody's situation with our words. But if we follow Jesus and his example of what he said to the disciples, he said this in John 14, 1 through 3, and it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I want to end with another verse. It's in Revelation, and then I'm going to have Carly play this song that I mentioned at the very beginning, and it has the words on the screen, so if you want to close your eyes and you know it and just listen to it, you can that way, but if you're a reader and you take in things better that way, the words are up on the screen for you, but Revelation 21, um, 3 through 5 says this, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful.